We are continuing our series this morning called A Better Story, uh, looking at, at the story that God has invited us into as he continues to write the story in the world that he made. And, uh, if you've been with us the last few weeks, uh, it's been a great time just talking about this. And, and if you missed it, you can check that out on our website, macmazoo.com. You can go to the messages there and catch up to everything we've been, we've been talking about. But um, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 1 this morning. If you have your Bible, you can turn over there. Um, and I was thinking about this recently, talking about roles, and, uh, and I find myself in a new role recently. Um, I have taken on the role of parent slash coach slash referee slash cheerleader. And uh, the beauty of this is I get to do all of this from a seat in the stands. <laughs> they don't make me go on the field or wear a whistle. I get to do this just from my seat. Um, and it is, surprise, it's gotten me into a little bit of trouble at times. I don't know if you can picture me getting into trouble, but sometimes I get louder than I should. <laughs> um, I get confused as to what my role is in high school sports sometimes. And if they let me, I'd probably run out there and play, you know, if they would let me. Um, I get caught up in these things and I get excited, sometimes a little too excited, and so I get loud and I come by it naturally. I called my dad uh, recently and I was telling him about this and he said, oh, have you gotten kicked out of the game yet? <laughs> and, I said, and I said, no. And he said, well, then you're not on my level. <laughs> It's just, uh, <laughs> when there's confusion about my role, I can get myself into trouble, right? I'm just, I'm there to be a parent, a supportive parent who's cheering on. I'm not the referee, I'm not a coach, I'm not a player. Uh, I need clarity regarding my role. When we get confused in our role or our purpose or identity, bad things can happen. Get messy quickly. We're, we're wired for story. We've been talking about this. And because of that, we are narrative writing machines. Right? When there's confusion, when there's gaps, we like to fill them in. We like to write the story. And we determine what's really going on right, in our minds. Well, that's a gift in a lot of ways. We can easily find ourselves writing a new role for who we are and who God has called us to be in our lives. In these moments, we find ourselves kind of confused regarding that space and, and what we're supposed to be doing, it can be in a variety of ways. We can find confusion in relationships. We can find confusion in vocation or jobs, in, in our community, what role do we play, et cetera. And here's the problem with that. We can all, a lot of times, put our identity into those secondary things, allowing those things to determine who we really are. Um, and we think, you know, no big deal, that's, that's not really me, that's other people, until those things go away. And then we realize, man, how much of my identity was rooted in this secondary thing. Maybe for some of us it's a job. And oh, I'm not really, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not really who I am. <laughs> but man, when that job goes away, the questions arise. Maybe for some of us it's a season of life that we're running into. Maybe it's parenting as, as the kids start to move out. Those questions start to rise. Well, who, who am I really if I'm not a parent to these kids in, in my own home? Who am I? The question that all of us can find ourselves asking, we allow these secondary things, whether it's relationships or vocation or sexuality, these things to define who we are, to create an identity, instead of being the place where our true identity is lived out. 
We often don't realize it again until those things are taken away. Great stuff, man. Thank you for that. Uh, What do I do about this, though? That's awesome. But who am I? In light of what we heard last week, right, we talked about, Pastor Michael walked us through about the fact that God is the author of the story. God is the main character in the story. God is, is the backdrop and the setting of this story. And you think, all right, cool, what isn't God in the story? <laughs> if the credits were rolling, God's name would be all over the place. <laughs> so who are we? Who are we in the story that God is writing? Are we like sheep number 71? <laughs> you know, like where, where do we fit? If all these things are God, God's the author and the setting and the main character, who are we in this story? Are we just some kind of extra in the background to make it look realistic? Some of us might feel that way. Is there any specific purpose and plan for my being here? How do I fit in what God's doing? Has God invited us into the story for a specific purpose and a plan, or are we just extras, background noise? And the question really is, what is our identity? Is our identity something that is given to us or something that we have to create on our own? If you're with us, uh, Genesis chapter 1 is going to help us as we look at what the author says. If you're there, Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 26. This is what the author says. Verse 26, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals over all the creatures that move along the ground. Verse 27, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created the male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food, and it was so. Verse 31, God saw all that he made, and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. At this point, the author, the main character in the setting, has spent six days, it tells us, speaking creation into existence, creating a good world that is good, he says. He's made land and sea, sky and plants, animals, all these things, enjoying his goodness in creation, this expressive, creative work, proclaiming the nature of who he is. And they're there and just enjoying it. Now these creatures, they all follow, all this creation follows a similar pattern in its creation. He speaks these things into existence and he says it is good. And here we see something unique. We come across something different here in this section. Into the story comes humanity. Humanity comes on the scene. And what is their role? They come on the scene in a supporting role. A supporting role, it's interesting. 
We've been talking about story, and, and last week we talked about God as the main character. What is a supporting role in a story? This is one definition I found. It said a supporting role is defined as one who isn't the main focus of the story, but instead supports the protagonist to ultimately help them achieve their goal, have a transformation, or move the story forward. This can exist in a variety of characters. I want you to think about your favorite stories, whether it's a book or a movie or a show. There's usually a protagonist, a main character, but then there's the supporting cast. And sometimes these, these, these cast members, these characters exist just to keep things interesting. Think about your favorite story. Who, who's your favorite supporting cast member in those stories? I think about mine, I thought two, two came to mind. One is George Costanza for me. Uh, he's one of my favorites. I, I just love it. I love it. George, the other one for me was Sam from Lord of the Rings. Do we have any Sam fans? Frodo's cool, but Sam's the man. Yeah, yeah, Sam keeps it going. Uh, these characters, they're, they're not the main guy. They're not the main, the main gal. They're, they're there just to help the story move forward. They, they play a role. In the story, they're not just background noise, they play a specific purpose. In the story of creation, we see God's intent for our supporting place in the story He's writing. We're not just sheep number 71 in the background, we play a critical role in what He's doing and what He's inviting us into. Amen. There's a few things that we're going to look at this morning. They all start with R, so Michael will be happy about that. Um, I'm trying, gang. Uh, the first one, if you're taking notes, is found in verse 26. It says this, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image and in our likeness. There's a lot of, there's a lot of conversation with really smart people around what exactly this means. What does it mean that humanity is made in God's image? For original readers and hearers of this phrase, there's two things that would come to mind. One of them is... is Idols, right? This, this physical representation of a spiritual being. The word that's used here in the original is selem, T-S-E-L-E-M. And it literally means idol, right? Uh, little, a, a physical idol. It's, and it, idol is defined this way, an image or representation of a god used as an object of worship, right? Um, Idols were a big deal during this time in the Near East. This was, this was a physical representation of a spiritual being. You'd often find them in sacred spaces, places where humans would go to encounter a god, and there would be an idol there as a representation of this spiritual being, a place where gods and humans would connect. Idols were used to direct people's attention to a spiritual being, right? You walk into the sacred space with this physical representation, and your mind immediately goes to this spiritual being. And they would go to this place oftentimes to worship. It was a physical representation of the divine. Now, it's interesting, the Bible has a lot to say about idols. Mainly, don't make them. <laughs> Stay away from them. Some of you guys are familiar with this, Exodus chapter 20, the second commandment, verse 4, it says this, you shall not make for yourself a carved image, there's the word, or any likeness or anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath 
or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Look, guys, I don't want you making physical representations of spiritual beings. I don't want you creating them. I don't want you bowing down to them. Just don't, just stay away from them. Later on, Leviticus 26, verse 1, this command is repeated. You shall not make idols for yourselves or erect an image or a pillar. You shall not set up a figured stone in your land to bow down to it, for I am the Lord your God. So God is really clear. He does not want us worshiping false gods. He doesn't want us reducing him down to a single physical representation of something he created, any earthly symbol. Why? Why? Because Genesis chapter 1 says he already made idols of himself. He's already established a physical representation of who he is, and it's you and me. We are made in the image of God. We are his physical representation. To use the term Russia, we are his idols (laughs) that are here to draw attention to him. We are made in the image of God. We are, if you're taking notes, his representation here on earth. We don't need to carve something. We don't need to make something because he already did it. We, as humanity, are made for representation. His representation. We're wired for it, whether we realize it or not. See, I I feel kind of outed earlier. Todd called out the Californians in the room. And I kind of was like, oh, he went for it. Like, let's go. Some people, there was like, you know, we feel so seen. I'm like, oh, my gosh. We'll tell anybody. I, I grew up outside of L.A., And uh, representation was a big deal in cities that have more than one sports team per sport. Uh, And so, you know, growing up outside of L.A., the jersey that you wore meant something. You were communicating something by what you put on on the outside. And so you'd have, you know, uh, back in the day, we had, you know, the, the Rams were there before they moved and came back. Rams were there. Rams fans were, they were people, you know. Um, They they got their they got their gear on, but then you had Raiders fans. What? LA Raiders, yeah, okay. Um, that's, a whole, that's a whole other group of people. Like, that's, God bless you. Um, you, you just had, you had these people, right? And they existed in the same space. And that, that was fun at times. You have, you have Angels fans who are a group of people, you know? Uh, and then you have Dodgers fans. Who are a whole nother, I mean, you have a whole nother group of people, right? Um, you have these people in the same space who are representing two different things. And how do they represent? They don't play. They don't play for these teams. <laughs> There's something about this team that they identify with. And so they say, man, I'm going I'm to represent my team <laughs> by what I wear. We're wired for representation, church. But it's interesting that we, we choose to be identified by what we put on. Paul, Paul takes this. <laughs> he takes this in Ephesians uh, chapter 4 and talks about this in verse 22 and 23 and 24. He says this, you were taught, Paul says, with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desire." He said, man, you used, to be, you used to represent these things. I want you to take that off. Like it's, like it's an old piece of clothing. Get, get rid of it. Take this off. He says, I want you to be made new in the attitude of your minds. To put on the new self. 
created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. He's, man, you used to represent yourself. You used to represent sin and darkness and all these other things. I want you to take those things off. Why? Because you were made in the image of God. And in Christ now, you can represent that once again. I want you to put on the new self, he says. Created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. This is who we're called to represent. This is our purpose. This is how we were designed, church. To represent Christ in the world. That people would see us and their attention would be drawn to God. That we would look at each other as humanity that is made in the image of God. And worship God for his creativity. In the same way as an idol would serve as representation, we were created to be God's representatives here on earth. To be people who direct attention to God as physical representations of who he is. Both in how we live and what we communicate. A primary part of our identity is representation. Now church, I just want to... I want to sit here for a second, and I just want us to think about this. God chose you to represent him. Of all all that he could have done to represent himself, he chose us. In this, we discover the second thing. We discover our role. He forms us for a role. He says here, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so they may rule. The ESV says that they may have dominion (laughs) over the sea, the fish in the sea, the birds of the heavens, and over livestock and over all the earth. Our representation of God is played out in this role, having dominion or ruling here on earth. I love the NIV translation in this. It says, let us make mankind in our image so that they may have dominion, so that they may rule. The image of God is directly tied to our role of ruling with Christ here on earth, of taking care of what God has created. We're called to rule over creation as God's representatives. He designed us to co-rule with him. He didn't say, stay in the background and watch me work. He said, come with me, let's do this together. He invites us into what he's doing. The psalmist, I love love this, he's just out in creation, he's seeing all this, and he's pondering the reality of who God has called him to be. He's pondering this reality that God has formed him in his image and has called him to to have dominion, to rule with them. Over in Psalm 8, it says this, verses 3 through 8. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. You've made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet. All flocks and herds, animals of the wild, birds in the sky and fish in the sea, all that swim in the paths of the seas. He just takes a moment to just drink in all of creation 
And he sees all of this amazing creative work of God, this handiwork that's blowing his mind. And he thinks, and God, who am I that you would invite me into ruling with you over this? What, who, who are we that you would call us to rule with you? And yet he invites us as people, men and women who are made in the image of God, his representatives here, to rule, to have dominion over the earth, to play a part in what he's doing. So what does this look like in practice? We, th- we think about ruling, and we're like, okay, I, I have a picture of what that looks like. I've seen it played out time after time after time in our societies. What does it look like in practice? Third, if you're taking notes, it looks like responsibility. It looks like responsibility. The command is given there in verse 28. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the seas and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. I'm I'm making you as my representatives here and I'm giving you a place of rule, but I want you to take responsibility. I'm giving you a command to go, to be fruitful and multiply, to fill the earth and subdue it. This uh, subduing is further explained in in Genesis 2.15. It says there in verse uh, 15 of chapter 2, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. We have responsibility, church. It's more than just imposing our will on creation. Okay, I'm ruling, I'm going to do what I want, you're going to have to do what I want, because I'm in charge. We have pictures of ruling that looks like that, right? Dictatorship. Like, were you going to do what I say or else? And that's not what he's talking about here. I love this. It speaks about not imposing our will on creation, but using our position as role and representative to bring about the full potential in creation. Uh, it's interesting that um, the setting for this is a garden. How many of you guys are gardeners? Yeah. Come on, we're in Missoula. You should all have your hands up. Let's go. Come on. <laughs> This is gardening on steroids. What Jesus is calling us to here is gardening on steroids. We're taking uh, the, the beautiful creation that God has made, and he said, I want you to continue this work. Bring about the full potential. When I read this, it really makes me rethink some of the, the things I've heard regarding, you know, well, it's all going to burn anyways. So what's the use? No, no, there's responsibility here. We have a role and a purpose as representatives here to bring about the full potential in creation. Just like gardening. I think about gardening, I have, you know, a, a, a plot of soil that you're looking at and you're like, well, that's dirt. And then you have seeds. And you're like, well, that's a tiny thing. And in the act of gardening, these two things collide and through hard work and care, we bring about the full potential in both of those things. All the nutrients that are there in the soil go into this whole miraculous process. Uh, From this tiny seed, a plant emerges and fruit. And then more seeds are there. The potential that is represented in those two things. When When we take that role and responsibility seriously, beautiful things happen. I remember um, back in California, I, I have a OCD at some level. When I get on something, I get stuck. And so I was on this kick, and I'm like, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to be a gardener 
I'm going to do this, you know? And, um, and it was not like a little garden. It was like, I'm going to tear up my lawn. Like, I dragged my wife to an urban, urban agriculture conference. She's like, can we, just, can we just get a pot, bro, and just grow like a tomato plant? But I was, I was serious about this, and I was like, okay, we're gonna, I'm laying this out in notebooks. I'm like square foot. Every square foot has got like three different plants in it, and it's a whole thing. And she's like, man, you really know how to suck the fun out of gardening. <laughs> I was going. I was, but I had these like four by 20 raised beds. We were doing this whole thing. It was work. <laughs> it was work. But man, to see all, all of it was produced by just some soil and some seeds and some hard work. And this is what Jesus is inviting us into, as in this role of supporting cast, continue what I started. Look what I, I gave you these raw materials. Man, make something amazing. Make something beautiful. Bring about the full potential of where I've placed you. <laughs> I want this place to flourish. Build, expand, fulfill, and enjoy all that I've given you to rule over. Now, this sounds great in theory. Right? We say, okay, we can do this. Yes, we got this. And then Genesis 3 comes in. <laughs> yes, we're going to rule and reign. We're going we're gonna to just develop this and cultivate it and keep going. And man, we're going to represent well. <laughs> and then Genesis 3 happens. We see sin come on the scene. And we have twisted our identity. We have twisted our position in God's story. And instead of bringing about life and flourishing, brought about death and brokenness. We're going to talk about this next week, so I don't want to ruin it. But you read through the pages of Scripture and story after story after story of how we just can't get it right. How we will take this position of rule to have dominion over other people, to push down instead of flourishing, to bring about death and destruction, all because we want to do what's, what's good in our own eyes. We will determine what's right and wrong. But in this, there's this seed of promise that there's going to come one day, one who's going to set us free, who's going to, uh, to use the words of an author, un uh, uh, enable all the sad things to become untrue, to restore what we have here in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, to bring about the purposes of God as he designed for it. And so we read through the scripture and we see these things and with this glimmer of hope that one day someone's going to come and show us how to do this right and set us free to do it right. Amen. So into the scene steps Jesus, the one who's been promised, who, who comes and, and shows us what it truly means to live as the image of God. Yes. As his representative, he comes as the son of God and says, I've come to declare the father to you. I've come to show you what the Father is like. And we see this, and it's the most beautiful thing. We've never seen anything like this. The Son of God so filled and, and perfect tension between grace and truth, who comes and begins to undo the effects of sin here in the world. And we see it. Colossians 1 tells us that Christ is the image of God. Hebrews 1 tells us that he is the exact imprint of his nature. Talk about one who perfectly represents the Father. Not only does he perfectly represent God to us, but he demonstrates for us exactly what God's rule looks like. Philippians chapter 2 tells us that he takes upon himself the form of a servant. 
He's not here he, he, to, to dictate and rule and reign in a harsh way like we've seen uh, on our behalf. <laughs> he comes and rules in the form of a servant. So much so, Philippians tells us, that he gives his life away that we might be ransomed, that we might be set free. He demonstrates what God's rule looks like in sacrificial love. And in his death and resurrection, he invites us into the kingdom, into a new way of living that's laid out for us in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. That we'd represent him. That in him, we'd have dominion over the earth in a servant way. That we take that responsibility seriously. One scholar put it this way, when we follow the ways of Jesus' kingdom, we follow the path to true humanity. Church, instead of trying to find and forge our own identity, instead of trying to, to, to rule on our own and try to create our own little kingdoms, to find in ourselves the importance <laughs> to make a name for ourselves, to build something, he invites us just to receive it as a gift. I'm going to talk about this next week. I think it's so amazing. It's such a, such a lie that Satan would offer us everything that Christ has already given us. And we bite on it, right? We bite on it. Christ gives us our identity. This is who I made you to be. And as you walk with me, you're going to discover this more and more and more as your life unfolds. Genesis chapter 1 starts with, God ruling and raiding, inviting humanity to come and partner with him in being fruitful and multiplying. And then sin comes on the scene. And, and I love this as Christ dies and, and rises again. He's there seen by his disciples in Matthew chapter 28. I invite the worship team to come up as, as we just move into a time of worship. But Jesus invites these disciples into this, this moment as he is there and he's, he's resurrected. And this is what he says to them. Jesus came to them and said, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. It sounds so similar to me uh, to the creation mandate. God's ruling and reigning. And he says, I want you to come partner with me. Be fruitful and multiply. Have dominion. I'm ruling. You're ruling with me. And Jesus in his resurrection says, all authority has been given to me. I'm ruling and reigning. Come partner with me. And I'm sending you out to be fruitful and multiply to teach people what it's like to, to truly live as humanity, to truly walk in who God designed them to be, to set them free from the rat race of trying to determine their own identity and just to receive it as a gift that we now can because of what Christ has done. Amen. This is the better story, church. This is the better story. We don't have to earn it. We don't have to try to find it. It's given to us. We just have to receive it and walk in it. Amen. And so as we close and move into a time of worship, as we just respond to God's goodness in his creation, his goodness in giving us an identity, 
And think about this, church. I want you to think about how, how could we write a better identity than what's given to us already? He calls us to reign with him, to rule, to represent him. And to take it seriously, to be fruitful and multiply. I've given you all this, just cultivate it, enjoy it, just have a blast. We feel it internally in our souls. That's what we long for. How often we try in our own strength to cultivate that same identity and fall short. And how exhausting that is. So the question I want to put before you this morning, church, as, as we consider this identity that's given to us in creation, that has been re-given to us in Christ's death and resurrection, what dry, barren patch of land has Christ placed you in? What spot? That you're like, man, this is really, this is death. <laughs> Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's a family. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a community. Where has he placed you? As a gardener and said, go wild. <laughs> here it is, bring about, bring about my kingdom purposes, my creation purposes here, right where I've placed you. Man, how often we think, well, if my patch was over there, <laughs> it'd be so much easier. Well, you're not there. <laughs> you're here. <laughs> and I'm preaching to myself, church. How do we just stay faithful to the barren, dry patch of land that Christ has given us. And he's already at work there. We just have to partner with him. So what is that spot, and how might he be inviting you to fulfill not only the Great Commission, but the creation mandate is one and the same, of being fruitful and multiplying, of going and making disciples, of bringing the full potential of what's in front of you to pass. Whose story might God be inviting you into to share this with? Church, what would our city look like if we took this seriously? What would our community look like if we really stepped into our full identity in Christ and our calling to be fruitful and multiply, to go and make disciples, to bring our city, our little dry patch of barren earth to its fullest potential? by walking with him, by partnering with him in what he's doing. What would our city look like? What would our homes look like if I took this seriously? What would our families be if we put some energy and effort into this? What could be if I looked at my life with fresh eyes in the identity Christ has given me? Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you. Ah that you just invite us. You invite us to come and receive an identity that is spoken over us, that is sung over us, that you'd make us in your image, that you'd enable us to represent you here, Lord, in all of our brokenness, in all of our inability to get it right, Father, you delight in us. And you invite us into recreation, Lord to undo all the sad things in the world, to make them untrue. Father, we know that one day that will be fulfilled <laughs> in the new heavens and the new earth, Lord, that everything will be made new. And yet you're at work now. 
So God, we, we come to you, and I pray for those in this room that don't know you. They're struggling. They're tired. They're striving so hard to figure out who they are in their own strength, in their own wisdom, trying to fill that spot in their lives with, with secondary things. God, how quick we are to move away into those things. Father, we ask that by the power of your spirit, you would meet them right there. <laughs> that this morning they would encounter you in a fresh way. That they would see a God who loves them. So much so that you would give your life away to bring them home. And in that, you would, you would give them a new identity. You'd make them brand new as image bearers, ruling and reigning with you here. And so, Father, we ask that you would just break through this morning. God, for we who are following you, for those of us in this room that, that, are, that are walking with you, God, and, and just tired, Father, we pray, pray that you give us rest, that we learn to work at your pace. God, this morning that you would give us fresh eyes to see what is right in front of us. That in us there would be a delight and an excitement to partner with you in what you're doing. So God, we want to just respond. We want to just sit with these things in this time. May you speak to us by the power of your Holy Spirit. We give all these things to you in Jesus' name. Amen.